start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna it. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. You're listening to the White Cat Outdoors podcast, bringing you to the table where we talk about the outdoors. Guys, we got a banger today. Great, great episode. Uh, I met this guy last year up in Alaska. Super, super interesting guy. North American Super Slam. He's got it all with a bow. All 29 animals. Yeah, just I, real quickly explain what the Super Slam bit, Super Slam is. It's 29 North American big game animals. It's all the elk, all the sheep, all the moose, deer. all the deer, all the bears. It's buffalo. Yeah, it's muskox. Yeah, it's cougar. Yeah, there, you, there's 29 animals. It's a lot. It, if you can imagine hunting it in North America, this guy's done it. And he's harvested it with a bow. In trophy class, yeah, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. So when I met this guy last year, I was like, we got to get on, get him on the podcast and talk with him. It's going to be a great, great episode. And we're super excited for you guys to hear this one. We had a blast talking with him. I had a blast talking with him last year. And he's got some amazing stories to, you know, he's got 29 big game North American animals. So, you can imagine the stories this guy has and all the different things that he's seen and done. It's yeah, it's I mean, truly incredible. I mean, from bears charging him to almost freezing on the mountain. I mean, yeah. it literally, it's absolutely insane what this guy has endured in his uh, quest, especially with a bow in his hand. That's another... Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, passing several bears, you know, polar bears, mm-hmm. to get to what he considered a trophy... Uh, it's, it's just insane. Like he wasn't out there just checking a box. Yeah, it was, exactly. He, you know, every he, hunt meant something to him, and it was, it, yeah, it was just a great story, great guy to talk to, and and he didn't start it till he was forty. Yeah, that's another incredible thing. So. Yeah, he definitely has a very interesting story of how he got into it. It's not like, you know, if you and I were to get it, it's just like, oh yeah, well they're big time hunters. That's just the way it is. Yeah. He was he was always a hunter, but it's just the way he came to it is a great story and he's a great storyteller it's yeah jeb's a perfect example of um, perseverance and never quitting and i hope you guys enjoy the next two hours and because it's a hell of an episode and probably one of the most proud episodes we've released yeah i've definitely i had the most fun with this episode than any other one and he's just such a great guy to talk to and listen to a lot you can learn from this guy so with that being said Plug in your headphones, turn up your radio, sit back, and enjoy the ride. All right, so we got Jeb on the phone here. Uh, Me, Nick, and Tom are sitting at the table. And uh, Jeb, you and I met last year up in Alaska, and we weren't really in the same camp, but I kind of heard about you through some other hunters that were around. And then we actually did end up in a camp together for a couple of days, and that was when I started talking to you a little bit and really wanted to as soon as i talked to you in person i really really wanted to get you on the podcast here so we're really really excited to have you 
great. And it, it was it was certainly fun. The time we spent together up in Alaska it really was a great hunt. Yeah, definitely. It was a lot of fun. And I wish I would have had more time to talk to you up there. But honestly, it's probably better for the podcast that I'll be hearing this stuff for the first time, just like everybody else. Great. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess what you know we're going to be covering, I haven't really said it yet, uh, is you have completed the North American Super Slam all with your bow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, I'm sure most people do know, but, uh, for those that don't, the North American super slam is 29 North American big game animals. And actually I think, didn't they take one animal off Jeb? Yeah. They just took, they just took, um, Quebec Labrador caribou off. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because, you know, most of what I preconceived before my hunts, uh, like most things in life, I was I was wrong more often than I, than I was right, and I thought, oh, caribou are so easy, I'll just leave that to the end. Mm-hmm. And literally, and and I hunted with Jack Hume, uh, and, and his wife's uh, outfit, and, and they were just wonderful. But I was the last hunter they booked in 2017, and I hunted the last week that the season was open. Wow. And. Uh, uh, so I really feel fortunate that I even got to go on that Quebec Labrador hunt. Yeah, you um, just barely made it on that yeah, one. <laughs> barely made it by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before we get like way into the hunts, let's back up and uh, you know, like, how did you start into hunting? Have you been hunting your entire life, or was it something that you picked up later on? Yeah. So, I, and I'm a believer that it really is in your genes. I mm-hmm. mean, I, all I can tell you is my grandfather was a avid hunter and hunted his whole life and my his all his boys my dad and uncles hunted but i would say my grandfather had a passion for it that was at another level Mm -hmm. and what's funny from the earliest age i mean as soon as i could walk and talk it was fishing first Mm -hmm. and you know and then once i learned that hunting existed it was just all about fishing and hunting so my uh dad and granddad um they did deer hunt but most of our hunting was upland uh mm-hmm. birds so i grew up uh until i was uh really graduated high school um hunting upland birds I, I never got to hunt deer during high school because i was a hockey player mm-hmm. so deer season was always you know when when i was playing hockey so i couldn't uh, uh yeah got put on off. the back burner but, yeah yeah um, so like, did you, you said you were pretty much upland game hunting once you were out of high school. Is that when you started picking up, you know, big, bigger game hunting? Yeah. Uh, so what actually what happened was, um, I started, uh, waterfowl hunting. I had always done upland birds mm-hmm. and then I started, uh, duck and goose hunting and really pretty much did that and fished, you know, uh, uh, up until I was uh, in my thirties. Okay. And then, uh, uh, I started big game hunting with a rifle. And, uh, what happened was I was, uh, uh, 40 years old and I, uh, had just had, uh, uh, surgery number two and three on my knees. Mm-hmm. So I was lamed up for a few days and, uh, I went over to a buddy's house and he was shooting his bow in his backyard. 
And I said, hey, can I try that? And he said, sure. And once I shot one shot out of his bow, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I thought it would be much harder than that. Even I can do this. <laughs> so that was, that was when I decided to get a bow and start bow hunting. So from that point, did you put the rifle down and only bow hunt? Yes. Yep. It just, it, it, I was just in just so, uh, you know, smitten with bow hunting and, uh, you know, my first season I shot a couple deer and, you know, the intimacy of being as quiet as I had to be and, you know, get as close to the animals as I needed to get versus with a rifle was, you know, just such a rush for me. And that really, you know, once I, once I did that first season, I knew that's really what I wanted to do was, was just bow hunt. Yeah. I feel like quite a few people are like that. Not so much to the extent of completely putting the rifle down, but once they start archery hunting, they say basically the same thing you say. It's a totally different game and it just hooks you so much more because of the intimacy of how much more difficult it is getting that much closer to the animal and just there's a whole new level of hunting added to it uh for sure for sure I, and i remember the, the 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 first buck i shot um i saw the arrow pass right through it so my brain registered that it was a perfect shot mm -hmm. but the deer just stood there and then started feeding again <laughs> and I had this like panic attack, like this is a bad dream. Yeah. And of course, you know, I was a neophyte. I just didn't know better. And of course, you know, not many seconds later, you know what I mean? He mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of lost it and, 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 and went down. But uh, yeah, that was a great memory, actually. That's hilarious. Tom actually had a pretty similar situation happen with a doe last year. He shot it and she just kind of stood there and he was like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she put her head down, started feeding, and I, I mean, I could see she was getting red behind her front shoulder. I'm like, this is weird. I didn't know if I should, like, knock another arrow or <laughs> what, but, yeah, it was it was definitely odd. Yeah, that is. And, and it's funny how, you know, everyone reacts differently, but I definitely have, uh, you know, just a degree of paranoia in my personality. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's got to be perfect. Yeah. So if it doesn't happen the way I think, I get all these crazy thoughts in my head, <laughs> you know, of, of, oh, my God, what, what's happening? And, uh, fortunately, more often than not, but not all the time, but more often than not, things work, work out just fine. Um, but I certainly had a few, a few misses along the way or mishaps that I wish I could recall back and do over again for sure. Yeah, I, I can relate to the paranoia for myself personally just because – most of, I, I would say, probably four four or five out of the um, six deer I've uh, shot in archery season, um, I've only not recovered two, but um, every single one that I've killed, I've watched fall. So now I've got this, like, paranoia where if, it, if I don't watch it fall, then something's wrong. And I know that that's yeah. not the case because, you know, you know, a lot of people, including, you know, my dad and brother and cousin and everybody, like, typically they don't typically fall in sight when it's, is the thick of cover you're hunting in. Um, so that paranoia is real unless you can physically watch them fall. For sure. For sure. And, and I, you know, it's funny because there's a great thrill, as you know, when you get to watch the animal go down. Um, what, what else is really cool though, is when 
you think it's a marginal shot, and maybe it is, and there's scant blood, and the victory, you know what I mean, when you stay at it and you actually recover the animal, mm-hmm. it's almost better than the hunt itself. You know what I mean? Just that relief. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, yeah. So, Jeb, you, you said you started archery hunting at 40, correct? Yep. And you started with, is it whitetail that you were hunting at 40? Yep, I started with 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 with, with white tails, and uh, uh, I also black bear hunted. I'd go to New Brunswick and black bear hunt, which was a blast. So, um, at, at what point um, of shooting, you know, white tail or black bear, um, did you decide that it was, you know, time to pursue um, that super slam, or was it after several more big game hunts and you realized it was something that was achievable? I guess, like, what was the turning point to go after your super slam? Uh, yeah, he asked a good question. So what happened was I, I was, you know, kind of doing my thing with whitetails and, you know, once a year, a few days up in New Brunswick for, for black bear. And then, uh, uh, Chuck Adams book came out, uh, uh, super slam. And I read it and God, I was so impressed. And, uh, one, he, he really is a great writer. So just the, you know, each chapter was an animal. Um, but also throughout the book, it was kind of like a story of his, call it professional hunting life. So um, I remember reading it, and, and when I was done, thinking, well, listen, I, I'm running a business, I got a family, there's no way you know, I can ever do that, but that was great. But it also really turned me on, like, oh, I've got to go try elk. I've just got to you know, uh, try, try uh, some big game animals. So... Uh, that's really what happened is, is I started just dabbling in some of the Western big game animals. Uh, and I tried uh, moose also, uh, you know, back in the East. But I always had it in my mind, you know, that, you know, I was just too busy and it would never happen. And then what happened was, uh, I don't even know how many years in, I can tell by looking at my pages here, but when I got to about 12 animals, I said, hey, I'm almost halfway. Like, that's not that far away. Mm-hmm. So then for the next maybe five or six animals, um, I was kind of amused by it and thought, you know, every time I hunt a new animal and go to a new place, I'm blown away by just how different each animal in each uh, place is. Um how much fun it is to meet, you know, new guides and, and learn the traditions and what's going on. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep going on these new hunts. This is a blast. Um, and the other side note here is I was deathly afraid of heights. <laughs> and so one of my goals was to beat my fear and hunt uh, sheep and and see if I could actually overcome my, my, my fear of heights. So those things were kind of rolled in there. And what happened was when I got to 19, I don't think it was 20. Um, I, I then made a declaration to my wife and my son, who's now 17. Hey, I'm going for the North American 29. And this is hilarious to me is the minute I made that declaration, it wasn't as much fun. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved every hunt. I loved every moment. But I put pressure on myself on those last uh, 10 animals 
or 11 animals that I had never put on myself before. It absolutely had an impact on some failed hunts that shouldn't have been failures. And I was just, just a little bit too wound up, a little bit too now focused on having to get it done rather than just taking in the whole experience and having a, a, a great time. Now, did that uh, feel of pressure increase with each um, new animal under your belt? Like, as you got to 25, 27, like, did, it, did that pressure just keep increasing, or did you learn to deal with it um, and embrace it? Um, it? It did not increase evenly through the time period. What I found fascinating, and I'm going to use the term buck fever because we all understand what it is. Yep. Certain animals would just blow me up and kill me like certain animals i would go on the hunt with confidence handle it like a pro everything would go right and i'd be on my way home and there were other animals i i can't tell you exactly why um but like doll sheep i had gotten a stone sheep with with just a great experience a great shot felt no pressure same thing with my bighorn, my desert bighorn. I don't know what it is about those white doll sheep. My heart would beat right out of my chest. And, of course, it was the last sheep I needed for my grand slam. And, man, all I can say is my apologies to the two different guys <laughs> that I absolutely butchered and destroyed what should have been successful hunts. <laughs> Thank you for enduring the pain along with me before I finally got it done. Yeah, that's I kind of, I guess what I felt was going to happen is like it depended on what you were exactly chasing. Yeah. So like bears and, and, uh, and I, I didn't always do everything perfectly, but for whatever reason I could be in incredibly close quarters with a brown bear or a grizzly bear. And, maintain my cool now after it was over i might get a, an adrenaline rush mm -hmm. but you know during the circumstance it was fine i found things like uh uh coos deer and antelope like you know smaller but really wired animals yeah and then the uh and then the 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 doll sheep those are the ones that i i just absolutely struggled with the most and it, it was it was fascinating to me um, so I, I did a lot of, you know, just kind of self-coaching to, to get myself through it. Um, but, man, it, it, it was tough. Uh, and the, the stuff like moose are uh, so exciting. But for whatever reason, you know what I mean, I didn't get rattled by, by the uh, uh, bigger animals. It was usually the, the smaller animals. You know, like, you know, there's something about a little coos deer. They are so wired and so cool that when they come in, I can just feel my heart start to beat, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, do you, do you think uh, so it's, kind of um, like, the energy, like, you're almost, like, matching the energy of the animal where these deer that are, you know, super high-strung, that you know, like a, a pronghorn, that, you know, if it catches wind of you, it just sprints the other direction until you can't see it. Like, do you think it has something to do with the way that the animals react while you're hunting them, or no? You know, you, you, if you didn't ask the question that way, I wouldn't have thought of it. Here's, here's what I think um, certainly uh, happens to me, and I enjoy telling, like when I come home and I tell my friends stories of what went wrong, 
they all think I'm a horrible hunter, um, <laughs> which I kind of laugh at. But at least I tell the truth. Like, I, I don't candy coat. I, I can tell you this. When an animal is looking at me, or I perceive it's looking at me, it puts pressure on me. So, like, you get a little coos deer that comes in, and then he stares right at you. You know, you haven't moved. He's not looking at you. He doesn't see you. The wind is perfect. But that's when I go, oh, shit, he sees me. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And that, that's when the adrenaline starts going. And, like, sheep and caribou, now, I didn't struggle with the caribou, but sheep, you know, they are not brain surgeons. Like, you know, when a sheep looks at you, you've got all the time in the world. You know what I mean? They don't spook. They, they've got that curiosity thing going on. Mm-hmm. And that was really what I struggled with, just being able to take that deep breath and realize you got all the time in the world. Instead, that adrenaline trigger, uh-oh, he sees me. I got to get this shot off. I need, I, I need to do this right now, right now. And that's, that, that was my uh, demise. And, and the other animal, actually, when I said, you know, for the most part, it was small animals, um, it's a great story because um, it's a phenomenal animal. It, it scored uh, 223. In fact, it just it they they put it's from 2016, I think. But I shot a mule deer that was um, uh, 223 inches. I mean, just a monster. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, and that's typical. It wasn't even uh, non-typical. Wow! So an amazing, yeah, amazing animal, and uh, same thing is is he. It, it, I was fifty five yards away, which is a shot I practice, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. But he he caught movement and he stopped and looked at us, <laughs> and I sailed an arrow right over his back <laughs> for only one reason: I'm a choke. I was going <laughs> to get my middle name changed to choke after that shot. Ironically. Uh, the last, uh, the last morning of the hunt, I got a, I got another crack at it at 71 yards and got lucky. Um, but yeah. Nailed um, the 71 yard shot, but couldn't handle the 55. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this is something that's interesting, uh, with bow hunting a lot of, you know, you get a lot of people that talk about, you know, what's an ethical shot mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, I've had friends of mine that, you know, in the East, um, and you guys probably like me, you know, when you're hunting in Massachusetts or Connecticut or New York, you know, most of your shots are going to be 30 yards or under. Yeah, for so sure. So I've got friends that have, you know, have never shot over 30 yards and don't understand why anybody would. Um, and they'll, you know, not lecture me, but certainly give me a hard time. Like, oh, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't take that shot. Well, if you limited yourself in your shot range out west, kiss 70 percent of the opportunities goodbye but the thing that i found fascinating is my success ratio and i haven't calculated exactly but i actually fare better percentage wise over 40 yards okay all the way out to 85 than i have believe it or not between 20 and 30. And you know what happens? Between 20 and 30, things happen fast. Mm-hmm. So if an animal takes four steps, you're moving your bow and twisting your body and doing a lot of things. Whereas when an animal's relaxed and it's at 60 yards, it doesn't know you're there. 
it can take three steps, and you're moving your bow about a half an inch. Yeah. So, it, you know, if, if you practice, it's actually, I find, uh, easier in many ways to make those longer shots, and then you don't get the same adrenaline rush with an animal spotting you and seeing you, et cetera. So <clears throat> after getting that range for your western hunts, did you eventually bring that sort of range back to the east for whitetail or bear? Because like you said, out here, you know, most people don't shoot anything over 30 yards. So after all your experience out west, did that increase your range um, for whitetail? Yeah, it did. But, you know, you know, it's funny because, you know, as a grown adult, you know, you're, you're, you're an adult, but you're kind of like a little kid. So, you, you know, you go through a phase of, well, I know I can make that shot, you know, like I can do this or that. So that probably was like a two or three year deal where I started stretching shots and n- nothing, you know, crazy, but would certain push it. And, uh, um, and again, in the woods we hunt, you know, that might mean a 40 yard shot or a 45 yard shot. You yeah. know what I mean, um, not nothing like I would do out West, but the other thing that happened was, you know, when I did that, I, I kind of, you know, had a talk to myself, said, you know, you're an idiot. We already know you can shoot that far. You're not out West, like get a better placement of your stand and be patient. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I almost went like in a direction and then realized, no, oh, I don't really like this direction and got back to, Hey, can I, can I get within 10 yards of that animal? Um, and if it means I've got to hunt two more weekends to get that chance, that's, that's fine and dandy. So that's kind of what, what, what took place for me. Yeah. That's what I was kind of thinking that I'm sure it does depend on what type of animal you're hunting. Cause like a moose, they're not super flighty and skittish. You can send an arrow at them and he's going to hear it and he's just going to kind of turn his head like, what was that? But you know, an antelope or a whitetail, they're a lot more high strung. They hear an arrow coming through the air. They're more likely to start ducking and moving as opposed to those yeah. bigger animals that aren't quite as scared and skittish as all the, all the smaller ones. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that's the great thing about like a bear, you know, bears are not jumping a string for anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if they, if they get a whiff of you, they may take off running, but it's got nothing to do with your bow going off. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so yeah, that, that, and I think that's one of the reasons why I did so well with bears because I, I knew, you know what I mean? That I didn't have to rush the shot the way I did with, you know, I didn't have to rush the shot, but the way I convinced myself I had to on something like a a doll sheep. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to tailor your thought process to each animal for sure. And the other thing that's funny, you know, we're all different. So I have, um, one of my best friends who's a very good hunter. Um, if he misses during a time period five times and then shoots one buck, he can't even remember the five misses. In his mind, he's the greatest hunter in the world <laughs> and he killed a, a great buck. For whatever reason, God gave me this problem if I miss once and kill five bucks, and then you ask me, "Well, how is your hunting?" I go back to the one I missed. I just, I, I just can't let it go. So, 
So I probably, I'm certainly not the world's greatest hunter, but I'm probably not as bad as I make myself out to be either, if you know what I mean, which is kind of amusing. Yeah, I definitely, it's very challenging for me to get over a missed buck. Fortunately, it hasn't happened very often, but when it does, it eats at me quite a bit. And I know last year, unfortunately, I did miss a buck and I was still getting him on camera. So it was now my goal to get that deer last season. And unfortunately, story, it didn't happen. Huh? Um, I missed him in early archery season and he went nocturnal after that. I never saw him in daylight again. I never got a daylight trail camera picture of him. I only put my eyes on him one time and it was in gun season and he was crossing the road um as i was driving home so uh is he still alive going into this year he i had trail cam pics of him in uh muzzleloader season so that that's our last season here in pennsylvania's muzzleloader it goes till like the middle of january um and i had pictures of Love him it. in muzzleloader season and we have quite a few neighbors that we all talk and get along. I feel like if somebody got him, we would have heard. Um, we just put cameras out like two or three weeks ago. Uh, and I haven't got him on camera yet. But yeah. as far as you know, I know, in he's... A way... Yeah, I'm sorry, Tom. Keep going. No, I was just going to say, as far as I know, he's still around. Um, but I, I, I can't 100% confirm it with a a trail cam pick or a visual sighting of him just yet. Okay. Well, I, I hope he's alive and he probably is. And you know what? The only thing better than killing him the first time when you miss them is getting them two or three seasons later. Like it is so much fun. You know what I mean? When you, when there's a particular animal that you really want and you got to work hard for it, it just, you know, it goes back kind of, you know, why we all hunt. Yeah, we like to succeed, but it's also the challenge. So that's that's a black. I actually, I actually envy you that you've got that situation <laughs> going because if you see them, that's just going to get you so psyched. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's something that uh, if you don't hunt, I don't think you can can like understand because if you talk to any one of us, you know, mid season, and, and you may be the same way. Like I'm so stressed about, you know, I've got this target deer that I'm after and I can't find him or, you know, he went nocturnal. He was on this camera. Now he's not like, I'm so stressed throughout the season, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Like it's what I love about it. But to somebody that doesn't hunt, they are like, you know, you seem just so pissed off between October and November. Like, what, yeah. why would you continue to do this? But that's why I'm <laughs> yeah, out there. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can't. So a lot of that, you know, uh, what drives us. And, and what makes us love it when it seems like we hate it, yeah, it's impossible to to get, like my, my wife, um, you know, just, you know, like she she's happy for me when I get something, but she just, you know, she can't really relate for, you know, and understand, you know, why is like, you know, her, her, her answer would almost be, well, honey, if you didn't get one, somebody, doesn't your friend have a whole bunch of deer meat in the freezer? You know, like, <laughs> you know, just go get his or go to a grocery store. You know what I mean? So it is, it is funny how, how, you know, you really have to have it in your blood, I think, um, to understand. I, I've got six kids. Um, uh, three of them actively hunt. 
and two of them really like to hunt. Um, and, uh, you know, they also love the fact that, you know, they're going with dad and their brothers and all that. But one of them has that same, what I'm going to say, gene that is what my grandfather had and, and what I have. I mean, if, if, if I fell out of a boat on the way crossing the lake to shoot a record book animal, I better be a good swimmer because he is not going to stop and save me. He's, <laughs> once he has that animal on his mind, like he's just so, so driven by it. And it's, uh, it, I didn't train him to be that way. He just had it at that youngest age the way I did. You know, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, I, you're definitely right with it. Um, like you're born with that gene in you, because you know, um, well, like you met Frank, um, and I don't know how much you met Frank's dad, but that's how Frank got into guiding up in Alaska. Um, and Tom and I are brothers. I don't, I don't think we covered that early on, uh, but my dad's a big time hunter. He's you know hunted Alaska. He's hunted elk, um, mule deer, I believe. Um, he, he's done some western hunts, and my grandfather um, has hunted all over North America. He's actually got his grand slam for sheep. And Tom and, Tom and I were both uh, born with that gene where it's, you know, almost a borderline addiction problem, you know, of just chasing animals with a bow, really. Uh, by the way, remind me, why you're like 22? I'm 26. And, okay, and Tom, how old are you? I'm 23. And I'm 24. Oh, awesome. So we're all like, you know, mid-20s. Okay, and, and by the way, so it's, I gotta get it's Whitey, Tom, and Nick. And you're all brothers? No, Tom and I. So Nick and Tom are brothers, and Frank is oh, a okay. and Frank's our cousin. Okay, and and Frank is Whitey. Yes, yes. yes. No, yep. Fra- Sorry, Whitey. Yeah, we can just refer Frank. to him as Whitey. Yeah, yeah. yeah most people know yeah, me yeah, by but, Whitey. Yeah, and and Whitey's dad, who I met, was a great guy. Yeah, uh, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Thanks. Thanks for that, guys. And your voices are all similar enough. <laughs> where obviously it, it's it's confusing a little yeah. bit. We only that, have that to remember stuff. Jeb. You've got three to remember, so <laughs> we, we, yeah, we yeah, forgive yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so so the other thing, which we all know, is God. As much as we all love to hunt, and if I couldn't see any human being for a season, but I got to hunt, that would be okay. <laughs> Agreed. But nothing's better. But nothing's better than doing it with people you love. You know what I mean? Just nothing is better than sharing, you know, the victories, the defeats, uh, just all the stuff you go through in a season. You know what I mean? Yeah, I couldn't it's agree so more. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've so seen... here's a funny story for you guys. I'm getting off track. but That's all right. We like off track. <laughs> so, so on one of my missed hunts, and I'm embarrassed because I'm not exactly sure, but I think it was one of the doll sheets. And my wife is just so loving and so supportive. And I have an archery range in my backyard, so I shoot, you know, out to 100 yards. And, of course, my the son that's, uh, you know, absolutely nuts for hunting, you know, would follow me out there, you know, pull the arrows from me the whole nine yards. So, anyway, um, I, I miss. And I call back, and I'm just distraught. I just, I want to... I want to climb back up that mountain and jump off one of the sheer faces. That's the only thing I want to do. <laughs> so I call, I call home, and my wife, so innocently, goes, what, honey? I go, yeah, I missed. And she goes, honey, how could you miss? 
sorry. I can't help it. I go, well, what do you mean? She goes, it doesn't make sense. You practice all the time. How could you miss when you're practicing? So anyway, I go, well, Tara, it's hard because you're, you know, you're wound up and I'm trying to explain to her. So my son, which I don't know because it's a phone call, is sitting right with her. So when she finishes, I can hear his little voice go, Mom, let me talk to Dad. Let me talk to Dad. She's like eight years old at the time. He said, what happened? So I explained to him, and he goes, Dad, I am so disappointed in you. (laughs) I cannot believe it. (laughs) And, And all I could say to him was, well, Matt, you love to hunt, don't you? And he said, yeah. I said, it'll happen to you too. And I said, and I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're going to bring up that phone call anytime he misses. Yeah. Once he misses, I hope you do tell him how disappointed you are. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's too funny. So <clears throat> what, uh, obviously you... 29 North America, like, I, I don't think, did you did did you do it in 29 hunts, or was it, you said oh, you had a God. couple, you said you had a couple hunts for a, several of the species, um, what, uh, let's go through, like, a couple of your most favorite hunts you went on. I Before know you said, how long okay. did it take you, like, okay, start yeah, to finish, how point. long did that take? Well, it's, it, it, it's, it's funny, so, so there were plenty of hunts that I struck out on, so I struck out on mountain goats, um, three times and I was doing winter mountain goat hunting. So a lot of times I would pick the toughest hunt, you know what I mean? One for the challenge, two, you know, uh, you know, just for the spectacle of being in British Columbia in January, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and in those conditions. As if having the so, bow in your hand wasn't hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, it made it, you know, so exciting. So I, I had um uh you know, probably, I will bet you, I never counted, but I'll bet you 29 hunts was probably, probably 45. Oh, wow. And you say, oh, could it take that many? But, you know, there's a lot of animals. You show up in, like, some of my sheep hunts, right? Um, you show up and you hunt for a week and you never see a legal animal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's That's, just, yeah, it's the name of the game. And then you're, and then you're 130 yards from, like, monster Boone and Crockett rams for an entire week and they <laughs> never come out where you can shoot them, you know? So, so a, a, a lot of that type of thing. The other thing is, you know, with family and business, you know, I, when I just went through the sheets, I realized like there was one point where I went three years without killing an animal. Wow. And I started remembering, yeah, I remember now business wasn't that good. Oh yeah, this happened. Oh yeah. You know, so um, it, you know, it wasn't really all that consistent, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't really chasing it in the beginning, it didn't matter that much. If you looked at the dates, the last four years, you can see I had a full court press on. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, um, but until then, it was kind of like, you know, take them as they, you know, take them as they come and, and don't worry about it. I, I think when you say, what are the favorites? This sounds so cliche. It sounds like, you know, I'm trying to be, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, magnanimous and, you know, nice to, uh, you know, all the outfits and everything. But this is probably true with you guys, too. Think about what I'm about to say. I love to fish. 
I love to fish so much that if I go down and visit you guys and you bring me in somebody's backyard and there's a little pond with bluegill, I can sit there and catch bluegill all day and not get bored. You know what I mean? <laughs> Even though I'd like to be fishing for a monster salmon, it's like if that's all I got, you know, I, I love it, right? In, in the moment, yeah. how am I catching what can I do? So I went, and I hate to use the word arrogant because I don't look at myself as an arrogant pe- person, but I went on certain hunts with the idea, you know, this is later in the game, well, you know, I've got to get this checked off. Um, it's just a this or it's just a that. And I loved it because I was so humbled from the moment I showed up by how knowledgeable and kind the outfitter was. You know what I mean? And then, oh, this isn't nearly as easy. I thought this was going to be a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. You know, five days later, I haven't been able to draw my bow yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so I... I I truly mean this. Like, I'm not just saying this. The fa- my favorite hunt is always the hunt that I'm doing at the moment. You know what I mean? Like, like an antelope, I can't tell you how much I loved antelope hunting. You know what I mean? And before I went, I'm going, oh, yeah, an antelope. Yeah, I got to check that off the list. And uh, um, thank goodness, you know what I mean, um, that that my what was in my mind wasn't true and thank goodness they were all as much fun as as they were i think though if you pressed me um i think i go back to the dangerous bears and the uh, mountain animals so the you know the, the the sheep and the goat and the dangerous bears probably are the ones that i would you know turn to as and i don't even want to say favorite i would say maybe maybe the inner feeling of accomplishment you know when you in and you know like my wife sometimes like i'll come home from a hunt and she'll say did you have fun and i'll try to explain to her because because I, I i i enjoy every moment but a lot of those hunts it's it's you don't really look at it as fun you look at it as a, a like a challenge mm-hmm. and a sense of accomplishment even if you fail right and you're leaving you know the bush without you know having been successful you kind of feel like i'm one i'm one day closer i know i'll make it happen next time yeah definitely uh yeah well excuse my ignorance uh what is uh what are considered dangerous bears oh so uh polar bear brown bear and uh uh grizzly bear um, and not that black bears aren't dangerous, but you know what I mean? It's a, usually a much different circumstance you know, yeah. uh, with black bears than you'd get with the other ones, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you're, you mentioned polar bear, I would love to hear your story. On, <laughs> I was literally going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, if we could get a story on your polar bear hunt, um, maybe your, like the successful hunt. I don't know how many times you went up for polar bear, um, but I would love to hear the story on polar bear. Because I don't, I don't know anybody that's ever hunted them. I don't know anybody that's killed one. I just think that would be a really interesting story. Good. And uh, by the way, so I can talk about blood and stuff, right? Yep. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yep. That's fine, right? Okay. Um, so uh, I kept putting off a polar bear hunt, but I was dying to do it. And that's a hunt that I wanted to do in the worst way. And, uh, you know, I had talked to people over the years. You know, uh, I had talked to Jim Shockey. And he had told me a story uh, 
about his first polar bear. You know, that in you know, we had time, we were driving in a truck, so it was probably like a forty five minute story, a great story. Um so I wanted to go in the worst way. And when I finally got around to booking a hunt, um, bears, you know, polar bears, you couldn't import them uh, 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 again. Um, but the prices were a little bit less because of that. And really it was the, you know, it, it was the quest. So that, that, mm-hmm. that didn't bother me as much as it might, you know, some people. So anyway, I, I booked the hunt and I, I decided to go with, um, I'll think of their name in a, in a minute, uh, uh, up there, they're out of Alberta, really good, really good guys. And, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, Americana outfitters. So, um, they, uh, you know, they're not, you know, Canada North gets most of the attention, but for whatever reason, I end up with these guys and I booked my hunt out of Greece Fjord, which is the northernmost populated town in North America. Hmm. And, you know, a couple of friends said, why would, why did you do that? And I said, just because if I'm going to hunt polar bear, I just want to go as far north as I can possibly go. <laughs> I just like the idea of that. Yeah. You know I mean, there's no, you know, there aren't more bears, there aren't bigger bears, just there. So um, when I booked the hunt, they say, listen, you can go into the town, you can do this and that, but if you want to pay extra, you can actually hook a ride with a, uh, a fuel plane. You know, just a, it's an otter, but they'll be taking fuel out to these, you know, mining sites or, you know, different, you know, government-type places. And you can usually hook a ride with them, and they'll drop you off right on the ice. I said, boy, that sounds great. So, uh, uh, in fact, I get to whatever you know, Inuit uh, town we're in, I get into this uh, old otter, pilot takes off, an hour and a half later, we land on the ice, and three Inuit walk up to me. And one, one of them's got a big smile, and he walks up, and he says, so, what kind of cars do you sell? <laughs> and I look at him, and I go, how, how did you know I sold cars? And he smiled, and he goes, oh, I Google all my clients. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny, is the world has gotten so small, Right. So those, it was a, a father and son, and then a third. And the reason I had three guides on my hunt was they had had a parvo uh, uh, go through and wipe out a lot of the dogs in the village. Huh. So they combined um, teams to have enough dogs. Um, so uh, they, they all got along, and we had 13 dogs with us, which, which was great. So anyway, we uh, we sleep uh, you know sleep in this little plywood shack, and the next morning we we take off. And these guys knew what they were doing. They cared very much, um, uh, you know, about getting me a bear, uh, and they believed where we were going that you know it would be great hunting. And we went five days before seeing a polar bear. And, and remember, when I tell this, this story, that it was a great hunt, and these were great guys, so I don't say it in a disparaging way. Mm-hmm. But when you live up there and you're out on the ice, you want to get the job done and get home. Yeah. So, um, so we, we see this first bear, 
and you know it's it's incredibly cold um it's it's certainly like being on the moon it's so weird <laughs> so i get my binoculars up and i'm looking and i'm thinking to myself that bears a dink so i say to the inuit gentleman i say um how big do you think he is and he says back to me well how big do you think he is <laughs> and so i go i don't think he's very big he goes oh i think he's kind of big i go well how big he goes, well, I'm not sure. What do you think? Like, it was like a game. So if it had been, you know, a small bear, but I had said, yeah, let's go after it, we would have. So we pass on that bear, and it's day five. But we're finally getting what happened was they had been up in that area and had great bear hunting, but then it got really cold, so it sealed off all the ice breaks where the seals were coming up. Mm-hmm. So then the seals move. And the bears, of course, follow the seals. So we finally, on day, you know, we saw a, a, an animal on day five. Day six, we see another one, but it's a dink. We go through the same dance. It looks like a dink to me. Are you sure? I go, well, if I was sure, I wouldn't ask you. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, you're the well, guide. <laughs> yeah. So they just they just wanted to, you know, get off the ice. So um, anyway, uh now the third day, uh, when I say the third day, third day in a row, it's day seven. They put me in the back of the comatic, if I'm saying it right, and uh, the kids got a snowmobile. And uh, they hook it up, and they say, come on, you, you're going to go look for bears. And there was a big pressure ridge. So I thought, oh, okay. So I hop in the back, and they look at me, and they say, hey, you can't go like that. I go, what's the matter? They go, you don't have your bow. So I go, I can't, I can't bring my bow because for it to count for Pope and Young, you know, you have to do it from a dog sled. So I didn't go, oh, know don't that. Don't worry about didn't that. Know that. Yeah. So they say, don't worry about that. We'll do this, that, and the other thing. So I say, okay. So I grab my bow and we go out and we're looking and looking and looking. And it was phenomenal because we're up on top of this pressure ridge. And there's a decent bear. It's not a shooter. I wouldn't shoot it. But there's a bear, and just picture what they do, is they get on their back feet and they jump up, and then they come down 100% on their front feet, breaking through the ice and crust right in the patches where they think the seals are. So they're almost doing it like a, like an, uh, like a, uh, uh, like a wolverine, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Up and down, up and down, up and down. So they can clearly smell seals, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we watched that. He, he never got one, but you could tell he must have been awfully close, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, now they're frustrated, and they told me that we're running out of fuel. And I listened, but I didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> and then uh, uh, they said, you know, we, we, we're going to have to head back to the camp, you know, if, 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 if you keep, you know, being fussy. I said, well, look, I said, you know, I, I, I'm not really being fussy. I just don't want to shoot a dink. So we drive, uh, we get on the sleds after getting off the pressure bridge, and I'm in the comatic, and we're driving. And there, so there are two kids. They're not kids. They're young men. And one's on a snowmobile by himself, and the other one's on a snowmobile, you know, pulling me along. And uh, 
uh, telling you guys, am I going too slow with this story? Am I killing you? Nope, no, this, anybody, I'm anybody sleeping? on the edge of my seat. Okay. Honestly, <laughs> like legit. Okay. okay. So anyway, um, we, we're driving and all of a sudden, uh, one, you know, the, the, the other kids, you know, I, I can hear it from where I am. My guy stops the sled and the other kids talking to him in Inuit, blah, 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 blah. So he walks back to me and says, hey, he said he found a, he found a bear. So we go up, and we're, we're a good half mile away from the other uh, sled, but my guy spots the bear with his bear eyes, by the way. I had trouble seeing it with binoculars. Their <laughs> eyesight was so incredible, um, and polar bears on that ice are so hard to spot. Yeah, I bet. So, so he tells me where it is, and now I feel like an idiot. You know what I mean? Like He's like, see it right there, right there. And, of course, I'm looking bare-eyed. I can't see it. I put my binoculars up. I can't see it. Finally, <laughs> I find it. It's another dink, right? I go, now, that doesn't work. I said, plus, I said, I, you know, I can't do it like this. i got to you know, do it off a sled. Mm-hmm. So he rolls his eyes. But I go, don't worry. That, 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 I'm not going to shoot that bear anyway. So we get back on the sled. He talks to, to the other um, guide, and I'm sure they're talking about what a jerk I am. <laughs> so, you know, we get back on, and we're not on, we're not on the sled for more than I don't know, like maybe two minutes, really fast. And all of a sudden, they're talking back and forth, and my guy says, "Get out of the, get get out of the commentary, get out of the commentary." So I get out, and I walk over, and I glass. And I see a bear, and the bear doesn't look big, but it's not a dink. Like it, it, it's 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 not it's not something I'm looking at and going, oh, I want to shoot it. But it's like, okay, you know, it's it, it's probably eight feet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and the other bears I were look was looking at earlier were really small, like probably like two year olds. You know what I mean? Maybe three year old. So I'm looking. He goes, what do you think? And uh, uh, I go, well, it, 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 it's certainly better. And he looks at me, he goes, no, not there. Move your glasses to the left. So I move the glass to the left, and like 40 yards from that bear is a bear that towers over the first bear. So it was a sow with a boar. So I go, that's what I've been looking for. <laughs> so they go, let's go kill it. And I said, I told you, I, I can't do it off of a sled. It won't count. So he calls the other kid. The kid takes the snowmobile, comes over, and we literally have an argument. And they go, nobody, it's, it doesn't make any difference. And I go, well, it, it does to me. Yeah. And they said, well, nobody's going to know. I said, but I'll know. They didn't know I you said, were coming on the I'm podcast gonna... years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, I can't go home and lie to my kids. I, I can't do it. I, I... And they said, well, you're not going to get a bear. And I just shrugged and said, that's okay. I'm not going to kill a bear if it's not legal. Mm-hmm. You know, Pope and Young, I, I, I'm just not going to do it. Um, so they're disgusted. <laughs> they are we, it was 30... I think I'm right when I say this, men. It's thir- it was 33 kilometers from where we were back to the tent where the dad was hanging out. So we get back, and they're talking 100% Inuit, no English. <laughs> so you and know it's he about comes you. Out to see him. <laughs> yeah. 
and they are going nuts, right? And and he's like yelling at them, you know, like they're idiots and it's their fault. You know what I mean? <laughs> so finally, he, the old man comes out, and this is the other funny thing is, um, uh, he was my birthday is is on uh, Halloween, ten thirty one. His birthday was on eleven six of the same year. But because of the weather up there, I thought he was 20 years older than me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he, he, he comes out, and he chews me out. You know, he just says, look, you don't get it, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, the hunt's over. We, we're, we don't have enough fuel. We barely have enough fuel to make it back. I said, I understand. So they go back in the tent, and I mean, they're in there for 20 minutes, and I'm freezing my ass off my way outside. <laughs> it is cold. So they come back out, and they say, okay, we have a plan. We're going to drive. We're going to get on the snowmobiles. We're going to hook up the dog sled. We're going to take you back to that same spot and see if we can find those bears. And if we do, you'll get your chance. If you don't, the hunt is over. I say, fair enough. So now the old man and one of the young men, they're going nuts getting the dogs ready. And it's a lot of work um, setting up the dog sled. You wouldn't think so, but hooking up every dog, the dogs are fighting, you know, they're aggressive, they twist and turn. It's not like a dog sled like we see in America. These are just 13 different lengths of rope that they, they basically clip to the front of the sled and, and clip to a harness on the dog, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not a harness like you would think, you know what I mean? Really, ba- basically look at it as a collar, you know what I mean? Huh. So, and the dogs are very wild. So anyway, now the third, yeah, so the, the, the other young man comes over to me. He goes, well, we're going to go see. I go, we, we got a good shot, don't we? And he looked at me like I was an idiot. And he goes, what do you mean? <laughs> I go, we'll be able to find him. And he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, the chances of us finding those bears is almost zero. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, they don't hang around. So I just have this positive attitude. And I I heard him. I I was sober about it. But I'm like, hey, um, at least they're not yelling at me. Let's go. (laughs) So I get on the dog sled. We go out, and they go, without GPSs, they go to the exact spot we were at. And you can see our tracks and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Guys, if you put me out there with GPSs and gave me a year, I don't think I could find the exact spot. (laughs) It's like being on the moon, right? Everything looks the same, right? Yeah, there's no landmarks. Nothing, (laughs) nothing. nothing. So anyway, the, 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 uh, the older gentleman's son is glassing. And he spots the bears five miles away. And I mean five miles. And he's using, I think his binoculars are 10 power. So when I, when I say five miles, you, you immediately think, you guys immediately think I'm either exaggerating or brain dead or just don't understand. They were so far out that when we finally got like a mile and a half away, I could finally barely all i could see were like the black of the nose type of deal you know what i mean mm-hmm. almost impossible to see so anyway now we they they kind of get me ready 
And uh, what that means is get your bow, get your release on, you know, get ready. And so it's, it, you know, those two kids are on a snowmobile, and my and the older gentleman's got the, the, the dog sled that I'm on. So as we, when we get about a half mile away, the bears did exactly what the old man had told me in, in earlier stories in the week. As soon as the bears recognized that, that there were something was after them, you know, dogs uh, and humans, uh, I'm not suggesting that they know what dogs and humans are or not, but as soon as they heard and saw the commotion, that female lit out and took off like a shot out of a cannon, and she never looked back. She just dug, and the boar just turned around slowly and looked, and I'm not making this up, guys, saw, saw us coming, and he just sat down on his butt with his front feet on the ground, just like a Labrador retriever or a golden <laughs> retriever, and just waited for us. But didn't even, you know, didn't even, like, bat an eyelash. Like, That's oh, wild. Here comes, yeah, here comes food. <laughs> now, he said to me, he said to me, you know, like, one out of, you know, 20 females might not run, and one out of 20 boars might run. He said, but that was the typical behavior. So, they, so he just waits, and that was when we were, like, a half mile away. So as we approach, from a half mile, he releases one dog, and this dog is, you know, really aggressive, et cetera. So he goes running at the, at the bear. And once we get to be within like 300 yards, he releases all the other dogs. Now, all those dogs are all tied together, you know, where the, where the ends of the rope meet. You know, they're all on like a, a loop. So the dogs are all at different lengths. But it's like a mass of dogs with <laughs> rope in every direction. They're pulling at each other, flipping each other but they are all hell-bent on getting that bear. Huh. So they, they go to the bear, and they run up, and the original dog was there right from the beginning, and the original dog is literally trying to get in and take a bite out of the bear. And the bear is trying to catch him with his paws, you know what I mean, and, and pull him in. You can see just how he does it. And then the whole group shows up, so they tell me, okay, get, get off the sled. Now, what I didn't know was this. They, they had had a successful bow hunter. In all their years, they had only done one bow hunter. That guy was one year before me or two years before me. The guy made a perfect shot, okay? So they saw a bow in action. They were so petrified of me using a bow. So they tried to convince me to shoot at 40 yards. And we're at 40 yards. And remember, the dogs are moving in and out on both sides of the bear. So the bear is moving and swatting dogs and swinging back and forth. Guys, I don't know about you, <laughs> I'm not shooting an arrow into that mess at yeah, four yards. for sure. So they insist that I can't get closer. So I realize it's just not going to work listening to them. So I just start walking with my head down and they're yelling at me, stop, stop, stop. And I just keep walking. And I'm walking like if I kept walking, 
I'd walk about 10 yards past the rear end of the bear. So I'm trying to get where I'm not, like where I was in the beginning was like quartering, he was quartering to me. So I'm trying to get to where he's slightly quartering away. And by the time I get to third, first time I check my rangefinder. Oh, and I would say this, this is a cool part. So as I'm walking, my head is down, but I keep looking over, and he is so preoccupied by the dogs. But all of a sudden, he sees me, and he turns and cranes his head towards me. And the way I'm going to describe a polar bear, it's not like a brown bear or a black bear. They have, like, really long necks. So it's almost like a seal feeling, if you know what I mean, when he turned that head and just like swung it all the way over to me and I could feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Like, <laughs> I mean, it scared me. You know, and I just kept my head down so I didn't make eye contact. But within probably like less than a second of him swinging his head, he had bear, he had dogs all over him so he had to go back and get preoccupied. So now I knock an arrow on 32 yards away and um, I'm waiting. I finally think I have a shot. I believe I'm telling it the way it happened when, when I say to people as I tell this story over the years, I drew my bow and let down five times. <laughs> and every time I got ready to shoot, just a dog would jump in behind him or he'd turn. And, you know, it, it just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and then all of a sudden, just, you know, by being patient, the dogs backed up, so something happened with the dogs themselves. You know, one pulled on others or whatever. So there was like like a two-second time frame where that the big lead dog went behind the bear, but then, and he was not attached to all the other dogs. And the other dogs were now back, probably like four or five feet. So he ran back to turn right back around. I drew my bow perfect broadside shot, released the arrow. Uh, Best way I can describe it is the arrow went in probably like three inches higher than the top of his heart. So really like center punch, like a perfect shot. So the arrow passes right through the bear. As soon as the arrow goes through him, the first thing I do is look down to knock another arrow. So... And, I, and, guys, you can go on the Internet and not find my hunt, but you can find this because I saw this on the Internet ahead of time, um, but I never would have believed it. I looked down to pull another arrow off my quiver, and when I looked down and just grabbed the arrow, the Inuit all started yelling like I thought the bear was coming after me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so immediately I look up. The bear, so I'm talking like, this is like two and a half seconds after the bear went, the arrow went through the bear. He sits on his ass and rolls over on his side, dead as a stone. I'm really? telling you, like, that bear was stone cold dead in less than five seconds. Wow. So wow. Now, when the bear falls over on his side, the entire arrow is sticking straight up out of the out of the, the the opposite side obviously if you know what I mean. Yeah. And and the fletching is inside the skin. 
if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So so the whole arrow didn't come, but it's straight up. And so as I start walking over uh, to to the bear, and I'm not exaggerating, it was 10 yards of blood sprayed on that side. And then when I went to pull the arrow out of the bear, it was 10 yards of blood on the other side. So nobody's ever been able to explain this to me. But it's either their hearts or the blood or the cold temperature or all of it combined. I've never seen so much blood. You know, huh. and by the way, keep in mind, I, I split a rib going in and split a rib going out. Okay? And that blood was sprayed, right, on either side. So maybe actually the rib you know, created more pressure, if you know what I mean, yeah. to mm-hmm. even make it way farther out. I don't know. Uh, but that was it, dead dead as a, as, as a doornail. Um, and, man, that was exciting. It was, it was as exciting as it gets. I, I can't even imagine. And then I guess then, then the work starts, you know, yeah. get, getting that bear back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because um, when I – when I, uh, not only the bear, but the next night at, uh, I shot the bear at, um, just, oh God, I can't remember. I think I shot the bear at 1145 at night. You'd think I could remember this, but it was, it was right around midnight. I think the bear I shot just before midnight and the next day I shot a muskox just after midnight. Wow. So the muskox. I actually killed two days later, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. even though it was only 25 hours. And uh, uh, when both times, and they were, these are kind people, you know, they, they were nice people. Both times they said, listen, you stay out of our way. Do not help <laughs> us. Do not get near us. And when we got back to the cabin, you know, or the tent for the polar bear, um, he explained, he said, listen, he said, we move so fast because the animal freezes so fast. Yeah. He goes, it's a deep, remember when you're outside, it's a deep freeze. Yeah. He said, so we don't have time. You think you're helping. What you don't understand is the way we use our machetes, we'll chop your arm off and not even know it. (laughs) Um, And it didn't take long for me to see firsthand how good they were at what they did and how important it was for me to just accept the fact that I didn't get to help. You know what I mean? It's just the way it was. Yeah. Um, uh, and then on the muskox, it was it was the same thing. Now here's here's another little story on the muskox that's kind of cool. Is is the muskox are all circled? I pick out what we believe is the oldest, biggest bull. I make a perfect shot. Animal goes down. It probably took a half hour to get the other animals to leave him. Really? And, and uh, they wouldn't leave. So now we're two-thirds of the way through butchering the muskox, and all of a sudden we hear, bah, bah. here comes a baby muskox, okay, coming from the direction all the other ones left. And so the older gentleman, you know, starts barking out orders to the other two guys. And... Oh, and we did have, so we had a whiteout. We had a really bad storm coming in. So they were maniacs trying to get this thing butchered so that we could make it back to the, to the uh, plywood cabin. 
um, uh, that night. And uh, so they, they're not messing around. And what they showed me, I had never seen this, but, I, but, but they said, storm, storm. I said, how can you tell? So they pointed in a direction on the horizon, and when you really looked carefully, you could see it coming. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was coming fast. So I don't know how far out it was. I'll guess it was 20 miles out, but it was coming fast. So maybe 25 miles. Anyway, they leave for 10, 15 minutes. They come back. They give the old man the thumbs up. They all dig in. We're getting things pretty much finished. And all of a sudden we hear, bah, bah. here comes the, the baby muskox again. So, uh, he was really irritated with the two young guys. So he's yelling at them. They go, they walk over, and the, the animal had no fear. It was just like, did you ever see those stuffed animals at the uh, FAO Schwartz, those big, like, you know, you can get like a stuffed anything. Um, it looked like a stuffed animal. It was this adorable little thing. It probably weighed 40 pounds. So the kid who picked it up just puts it under his arm. They hop on the snowmobile. They take off. When they come back the second time, they explain to the old man in Inuit. So whatever they're saying, I can't understand. But the, they're already packing up. It starts snowing. And I'm not kidding you guys. We made it back to the cabin and got the dogs on their leashes. And within 10 minutes of that, you, I was not allowed to leave the cabin. Like, wow. And when I say... So I said to them, well, what if I just have to take a leak? And the guy looks at me and goes, you piss, you piss right in the cabin. I don't <laughs> care if you piss on the floor. You're, you're not leaving the cabin. And I said, really? They go, listen, you're not, you're not back home. People walk five feet out, and they never return. They go, you don't get it. <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, he opened the door. You couldn't see your hand. Wow. It was, it, it, it was so rough, right, and wind blowing. So now we're having tea. And I said, what was the deal with the muskox? And they said, look, the muskox only has one enemy. It's the wolf. And they're so prehistoric that the mothers have no maternal instinct. Hmm. So when it's up to the baby to stay attached to the mother. So what happened is when we killed that muskox, the baby got confused and just couldn't find its mother. That, that baby could have been five feet from the mother, and the mother has zero instinct, won't go nuzzle it, won't touch it, won't do anything. Huh. If it doesn't attach to her, it's going to die. Um, he said, so they said the first time, the kids thought they had it back with the mother, but it was obviously confused, so it followed the smell <laughs> all the way back looking for its mother, and the second time they got it hooked up. And that's what I mean about you know hunting. Like As much as we all like the hunt part of it, you know, stuff like that is so fascinating, you know what I mean? And, and you, you wouldn't know it unless you experienced it or had somebody, you know, tell you the story, you know? Yeah, definitely. When you, at one point you stopped and you said, oh, if I'm taking too long telling this story, stop me. And I, I love hearing really long stories like that. You tell every little detail about it because that's, you know, we've all talked a bunch of times that harvesting the animal isn't always the most important or most exciting part of the hunt. There's so much other stuff going on leading up to that that makes for an amazing story. Well, I mean, yeah, think about his story. Like the, the actual shooting of the polar bear was a small fraction of yeah. that story. And I, I think we all 
believe the same thing where that's not exactly what makes the story. It's every other aspect. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I enjoyed every second of that story. It was extremely interesting. Here's the other thing. Now, now I understand. So if you go to Fairbanks, Alaska and a lot of places, 30 below is not all that cold to a lot of people. Yeah. But to me, 30 below is (laughs) chilly. And uh, we never had, like, you know, you hear stories where they have 60 below. I think we had it where it was maybe, like, 35 below in the, in the mornings, and then it would warm up. But what would be funny is I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd have to pee. And you're in a tent, so I look up, and, of course, my breath has created stalactites or whatever they are, <laughs> or stalagmites, whatever it is. I'm serious when I say this. They're six inches long, guys. Like, <laughs> you're looking at this in. If one of those things comes loose, it could take my eye out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so, anyway, I hop out of my sleeping bag, and because of all that radiant heat, you don't feel cold at all, right? And I throw on uh, my boots. I'd open the zipper I'd, uh, to the tent. I'd, you know, go out. I'd put the zipper down, bare hands, right? And I'd, you know, walk 20 yards or whatever, and I'd start to pee. I did the same thing every morning. I'm obviously not very bright because I start to pee and I go, oh, man, because there's no wind in the morning. And I'd be peeing. I'd be going, oh, man, it's beautiful today. It's not even cold. By the time I was three quarters done peeing, <laughs> my hands were so frozen like I couldn't talk. That's so I'd rush to finish up, open that door, go Flying in the tent, close the door, jump back in my sleeping bag, pull it right to the top, and hope that they'd all sleep through the day. I was so cold. (laughs) (laughs) I would bet that that had to probably been the the hardest conditions a hunt that you were on throughout your entire journey. Was it? Uh, So I was in a really uh, tough winter mountain goat. Brutal. Mm -hmm. And we got caught in a storm. Brutal. Um. Uh, like we actually, so the guide and I trying to come out at night, it was a whiteout, so we couldn't really see anything. And we, we missed, we, we weren't where we thought we were. And we ended up, and I know because we went back the next day. So we ended up like on a straight face with alders. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, we literally went like it was probably... It was more than 30 feet. I don't know whether it's 40 or 50 feet, but it was a vertical drop. And we were both smart enough to never let go of alders and just let ourselves down on the alders. But if we had made the mistake of thinking, oh, well, this is just another, you know, three-footer or four-footer, or we had, uh, or we had you know, just slipped our hands or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it would have been brutal. And the outfitter ended up having to come in and rescue us. Wow. And I think we got back to, I think we got, you know, back to the outfitter's house by about five in the morning. I mean, it was, it was brutal. Um, and that was cold, man. It was, you know, up on, on the mountain. But, but um, it, it's funny seeing the toll that weather takes on the human body, Inuit or not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's pretty amazing. Like, great place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, so I guess, I mean, you could, I'm sure you could tell stories all day long about all your different hunts. Uh, 
And I, I know we would all love to hear stories of every single one of the hunts you were ever on. Cause I'm, I'm sure they're all just as crazy as your polar bear story. I'm sure you have some crazy ones, but, uh, I guess we'll push it a little bit forward and, you know, you've completely conquered in my mind, you have totally conquered North American big game hunting. Like there's, yeah, you've killed everything with a bow. There's, you know, what else do you plan on doing? Do you, are you still satisfied? Just keep going after those same animals over and over again, or do you have plans to go somewhere else like Africa or what, like, what is your big picture plan here? What, what's, what's going on? Yeah, because, because I have a business and I guess part of it's just me and I look at terrorism and all this stuff, I'm the adventure that I've had in all those hunts. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not knocking Africa, right? I think it's cool. My kids want to go. I don't see me going to Africa and, you know, and, and, and doing, you know, that, you know, basically you're shooting a lot of animals in a week. I'm not against that. I just don't see that probably on my to-do list. Yeah. I think, I think, so I already have 13 animals. Now, one of them is a rifle-killed animal, which is a story in itself, but <laughs> all the others are bow-killed. So I'm kind of looking at it now like I don't have pressure, but I'm thinking every hunt was so much fun. I'm kind of thinking, you know, I'm just going to start going on, you know, these hunts again and uh, do it until either my wife throws me out or I, <laughs> you know, get get too old. And if I get too old or I can't get it done, I'm not going to feel any, like, negativity. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But it, 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 it just, to me, is like, uh, uh, now that I've done it, it's like, God, I hate to, I hate to stop, you know, doing it. It's just too much fun. Yeah, you know definitely. I mean? the pressure's off now, so you're just going to start it over. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so that's pretty cool uh i guess let me look at the i got a quick question okay, go for ahead, you Tom. so there's what 29 yeah. america or animals yeah. in the super slam um what have you done as far as like european mounts or shoulder mounts bear rugs with yeah your, how, that's a good how question. do you display your super oh. slam so, so that's interesting because when I first started, you know, I just did, you know, either skins or shoulder mounts in the very beginning and did shoulder mounts. And then I started thinking, God, you know, maybe someday I'll have a trophy room. And so I started getting full-size body mounts. But I couldn't put them anyplace, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that so, takes up like, a lot of space. <laughs> takes up a lot of room. So my office at work, kind of like a war room you know i mean it, it's a big office space but it was like uh uh you know somebody came in and called it the den of death you know what I mean? it was just <laughs> loaded with animals all over the place so i ended up and we just completed it um and it never really gets completed because you're always changing it but wildlife taxidermy uh uh you know did a complete trophy room and, and i would say certainly in the world of trophy rooms you know, there's trophy rooms that are, you know, 10 times bigger than mine or 20 times bigger than mine. Um, but I have two mountains. And I'm telling you, you can stand in certain places and you'd swear you were either in Alaska or the Yukon or British Columbia. I even have, you know, they, they piped in the sound of the different animals um, with, with using like duck and goose feathers. 
I have uh, 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 an eagle uh, perched up over the bears. I've got a, um, I have another eagle being chased by crows uh, on, the, on the other mountain. So it's, it, it feels much more like a, like a Cabela's. I, I, I was literally going to say you have say, Cabela's in your office. <laughs> yeah, and it, and, but what's really cool is, um, like, you know, I live in Massachusetts, so it's not a pro hunting place per se, mm-hmm. but I've never had anybody come in that doesn't, like, enjoy it. Because it's not really like a trophy room, like, you know what I mean? Oh, I killed this, I killed that. It's like a museum, you know what I mean? So it really, and I almost hate to admit this, I'm a little sheepish about it. I always thought, oh, trophy rooms, that's for old men, um, <laughs> you know, that just want to show off. And then I think about it, I go, well, let's see. I'm old, and yeah, I guess I want to show off my head, although <laughs> now I qualify. <laughs> you're, so, in, you're in an so, elite class with you know, that super slam. I mean, I think it's something that deserves to yeah. be shown off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I also have, you know, because my kids are hunting now, so I have a lot of their stuff in there. And like, I'll give you an example. And it was really good guide on one of my hunts. His uncle, the, the day before had killed a Wolverine. Um, so I bought, you know, legally bought the Wolverine pelt, imported that. So I have a Wolverine right next to the bears. So, I, you know, I mean, I kind of got over the issue for myself of, you know, who killed it and more of like, hey, let's make this really cool. So I have a Wolverine. I'm dying to get a badger. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. just think badgers are such cool animals. And uh, I want to have a badger in there because guaranteed in Massachusetts, nobody, nobody knows what a Wolverine is. They're yeah. sure as hell not going to know what a badger is. So it's a lot of fun. You know what I mean? When you have that and. You can teach the kids when they come in, that type of thing. Yeah, we'll definitely have to come up and visit you sometime and see that trophy room. I'm sure it's quite oh, a Oh, I'd slight. love to show it to you guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Love to show it to you guys. Uh, so and, want... You know, the other thing is, which I just got to say, this sounds like an advertisement, but with, with listen, I've hunted all over North America, met just wonderful people from every state, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what's kind of cool is, you know, when I think of, like, the real hunters. Now, I'm not from Pennsylvania or West Virginia or Michigan, um, and I consider myself a real hunter. So I, I'm, I don't say this in any way taking anything away from anybody else, but what's kind of cool is on all those hunts, you can tell you can tell the guys that are from either Michigan or Pennsylvania, and, and I throw West Virginia in there too, like, They've, hunting is part of their whole life. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like they learned about it and said, oh, let me go try this hunting thing. You know what I mean? And they're such good woodsmen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I really uh, get, get, get such a charge out of that. You know, and I, I really saw that with, you know, Whitey's, you know, Whitey's whole clan there. You mm-hmm. know, they're not there. I'm not saying they don't make some money doing it. But making some money doing it has nothing to do with why they're there. Yeah, exactly. I would still be going up there if it cost me money every year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I want to jump back a little bit. Um, As crazy as your polar bear uh, hunt sounded, um, is is that what you would consider your craziest hunt? Or do you have a different hunt uh, story that you would put at the top of your list as the craziest hunt you've been on? Uh, oh no, I've got, um, 
I got two grazier hunts, and they both happen to be bears. <laughs> and they're they're crazy. They're crazy. Um, I can do them tonight, or we can do them another time. You know what I mean? I don't want to uh, keep you guys, but it is amazing. I'd like I mean, to if, hear them. As long uh, as you've got the time, we've got the time. I would love to hear them. Okay. So we'll do the two bears, and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it quits. So first, 2008, I'm in. Let me just check on that date. It wasn't 2008. 2012. Um, I I'm in British Columbia, and I'm uh, uh, on I'm hunting out of Terrace, British Columbia, and uh, I'm fishing a, a a river. And and the way we're uh, not fishing, we're, we're hunting the river. And the way we're doing it is, we're in an inflatable kayak, and the um, what we do is this this section of river is you float the top half in the morning and then based on what you see you decide whether you want to float the top half again or the bottom half in the morning yeah I shot it I shot it on uh, uh, October 9th 2012 so my my guide uh, you know really really good guide um, we, we start off in the morning and it's a small kayak. So his, I'm in the front of the kayak. My feet are like pushing into It's obviously inflatable, but my feet are jammed in the front. I've got my bow across, not my lap. Cause it's actually being supported by each side of the kayak. You know, the column pontoons, if you know what I mean, yep. you know, the inflated part. Um, and his feet are like really pushing on my butt. You know what I mean? It's not the most comfortable thing I've ever done. And we're drifting down river and he sees a few bears that I don't even see. Um, it's, it's a little bit misty. It's early in the morning. When I say I didn't see, I saw the brush move and, and, yeah. and movement, but I mean, no, nothing to speak of. And they were probably 300 yards off or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he had said to me, you know, it's usually over by 10 o'clock or 1030. And as we drifted around, um, we're drifting down and the river is filthy with sockeyes and fr more fresh silvers. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is not a, a foot of the edge of the river, um, where you don't have rotting salmon. It's the place is just covered and wow. there's big, big bear tracks. Right. Mm -hmm. So as we come around, the river is on a very large sweeping turn, sweeping to the right. And the wind is in our face and it's a, a heavy cut bank on the outside of the river on the left side as we drift down. So probably like from the water, up to the top of the bank, it's probably like four feet, okay, maybe mm -hmm. five feet. And on the side, on the right side, it's a gravel bar, and it's you know it's nice and you know level and 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 you know hardly hardly grades up off the water, if you know what I mean. You know, just 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 almost at the same level. And we're going down, and whatever he was looking at, it just happened to be. I look down and I see a monster bear. I mean, a monster. And you guys know what it's like, how, whether it's fishing or hunting, 
when you see a monster, there's no, you know, there's no double take. There's no maybes. You just, there's you know. no, well, let me take another look. Like this thing was unbelievable. And, you know, I've done a lot of hunting on the Alaska Peninsula. I've seen a lot of big bears. So I go, cat, uh, cat, big bear. And he looks and he sees it. And he, the bear is walking down the river on that gravel bar on the inside. So he paddles the canoe over. And, again, we can't see around the turn. And there's enough of a grade difference that he just walks far enough away where now um, that gravel bar is protecting us from seeing him because the grade on the river is fairly steep, if you know what I mean. So just as I'm getting out of the canoe, and I got my bow, I mean, I'm going to go kill this bear. There's no two ways about it. And he goes, get back in, get back in, get back in. So I get back in. I don't even know why. And I look over, and that very same bear is now walking straight across the river to the left side. And it's deliberate. He knows what he's doing. Once he gets to the middle of the river, he starts swimming. And he's probably about, he's less than 200 yards below us. Maybe he's 150, 175, hard to know. So the guide starts tattling the, the kayak as fast as he can across the river. And the bear crosses the river, climbs up, and gets on top of the bank. So his feet are probably like a foot above my head because he's up on the grass, and he shakes just like a dog getting out of the water. He shakes, and all the water's going off, and the guy is paddling for his life to get us over there so that we don't, you know, because the current, it, as we go across the river, the current's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Mm-hmm. Now this, this, I hope this story comes out well over the phone. So as he's paddling, we're now approaching the bear. I've got an arrow knocked, and he says, you better draw. And you, you laugh, because I love to tell it the way it is. So... Uh, Mr. Einstein here, <laughs> I'm holding my rangefinder in my hand. I guarantee you, we're moving at like seven miles an hour. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he's paddling us so fast. So, of course, I lift the rangefinder and then realize this isn't doing me any good. So I drop the rangefinder. We're now about 30 yards away from him, but we're moving fast. And he's been paddling pretty much with the paddle on the right-hand side so that he's fighting and keeping the current from pulling us downstream. So now the current is so heavy as we approach the bear, it swings the canoe or the kayak, so we're now headed straight downriver parallel to the bear. And the bear is standing parallel to us on the bank. So I draw my bow. We're moving so fast, it's like shooting from a moving car. <laughs> and when I draw my bow and I come across the crease, it's too late. I'm already into the front of the bear. So I got to back up again, you know, back the, the arrow up. And it was almost like shooting at a grouse. This time when I came across the crease, and we guessed that we were 18 yards away when I shot. We'll never know for sure, but I would say... It wasn't closer than 15, and it wasn't more than 20, so we can't be off by, by much. The arrow hits exactly where I aimed, right in the crease. 
Now think about what happens here. He now, the current, is actually taking the canoe, and I'm not kidding you guys, right to the feet of the bear. <laughs> like, you know you what just I mean? Threw an arrow we're, you know, yeah. So, the and the bear, and by the way, the arrow was sticking out about 10 inches because it buried in the far shoulder. So when it hit, the bear let out a tremendous roar looking downriver, okay? And, and I mean it, just like in the movies, guys. It's like a death roar is so what they then call it, right? He, then, yeah, then he sees us. And when he sees us, he decides, and I'm not kidding you guys, he's coming for us. And he takes like a leap. You know, he jumped. He didn't walk. Right, his front feet were on the edge of the bank. And he looked. You know, he was starting to coil, like here he comes. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, do not splash because he was fixed. The guide was in front of me. He was fixated on the guide. <laughs> I knew he was going to kill the guide. And I thought, you know, just don't splash. Just float down the river and, you know, I'll probably be okay. Anyway, he decides not to. And I think he was just in just too much pain. This time he lets out a roar, looking right at us, shaking his head. And when he does, blood is spraying out of his mouth. Okay. When I say his mouth, it could have been his nostrils, but one or the other, okay? And you can also see when he roared, blood was actually spraying out where the arrow was sticking out. So we, the guy paddles the canoe downriver. By the way, his gun was tethered to the bottom of the kayak because, you know, you fall over so much. So... There was no backup. There was no gun. There was no rifle. Um, anyway, we cross the river. We get to the other side, and the outfitter's Bob Milligan, great guy. And uh, Chad pulls out his uh, cell phone, and he calls Bob. Bob answers. And Chad is talking. He goes, he just killed the world record. He just killed a monster. But he's just talking, you know, a mile a minute. And Bob keeps going, is he dead? And the guy <laughs> says, he smoked him. Blah, 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 blah. Bob goes, is he dead? He goes, Bob, I'm telling you, I know he's dead. Yeah, call me when you know he's dead. <laughs> so he hangs up. We don't wait a half hour or an hour. This kid's all jacked. Um, we, can't, we, we just tow the, the uh, kayak, you know, about 200 yards upriver, hop in, cross. We get to where the bear was standing. Guys, we cannot find a drop of blood. Okay? Not a drop. Huh. We spent probably 15 minutes, and I finally, about 15 yards away, in the opening into the deep, heavy, heavy timber, and you guys know what that's like in Alaska. Yeah. Um, it's like rainforest. I find a drop of blood. Um, so he gets, so I show him the blood. He goes in front of me. And now we're following a scant blood trail, hardly anything. And we go probably 100 yards or 150 yards, and he says, stay right behind me. And all the stories I've read, bears are like leopards and lions. They attack the second person. So I'm saying, no, dude, I'm staying <laughs> like 30 yards back. I'm not staying right on your tail. Yeah. Um, so 
uh, and whether that's really smart or not, who the hell knows. But anyway, it's what I decided to do. So all of a sudden, he stops. He said, did you hear that? And I'm thinking to myself, no, I'm a 55-year-old guy with bad hearing. Of course I didn't hear it. <laughs> so he calls me. He could hear the bear breathing. Oh, and we, had, we found the arrow. So the arrow was broken off. Um, you know, like maybe it was like 12 inches of arrow, um, you know, the, the fletching uh, broken off. And when we found the arrow, there was no more blood. Um, but he heard the bear. So I said to him, look, let's just back out and wait. He goes, no, you never wait on, on these things. you got to go kill it. So me being the dummy, I follow him. And there's the bear lying, facing directly away from us. But also the wind is going from us to him, and he smells us. And he lifts his head up off the ground and swings it around and sees us. But then, like, his head falls like it weighs a 1,000 pounds back onto the ground. So he's, you know, clearly he's dying. Yeah. So I go, let's back away. He goes, no, 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 you got to put another arrow in him. So we're at 30 yards, and for me to get a shot, I have to walk closer to him because of the contour of the land. So I walked the five yards. He's the, he, now he's got his gun, right? So I have Did you back. say walk two five yards or walk five more yards? Five more yards. Okay. So, okay. so uh, 25 yards away. Okay. I just wasn't and, sure what you said there. Yeah. So it's a big mass of nearly black, you know, dark, dark, dark brown animal in the darkest brown undergrowth. So I'm looking at the animal. I can't figure out, and I know this is embarrassing, guys. I can't figure out what to shoot at. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm looking, and I'm really trying to figure. So the guide says to me, and he called it perfectly. He said, see that shiny spot back on his rib? I said, yeah. He goes, you aim right for that, and you're taking out both lungs. So um, I got to split the pins, you know, using a heavy arrow. But, guys, I mean it. Like, I hit the shiny spot. I didn't almost hit it. Like, I <laughs> put the tip of the uh, broadhead right through it. So the arrow went in, like, around where the back rib is and actually came out next to his neck where the collarbone is. Yeah. So just the broadhead was sticking out his, the side of his neck. Um, and we didn't know that till afterwards. So I hit him, and when I hit him, the bear, like, lunges forward though, like a dead bear. You know how an animal, you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He just like lunges and goes, oof, I'm not making this story up. His name's Chad Miller. Chad turns around and high-fives me and says, you smoked him. And we both turn back and look at the bear, and the bear stands up <laughs> and starts walking right to us. Now, I'm, uh, I, I know in hindsight, I didn't at the very moment, but the bear was dead on his feet. Yeah. He, he, it had nothing to do with us. It didn't have to do with aggressiveness. He was just walking. Mm -hmm. I knock in it. So first thing I'm doing is I'm, Chad, don't shoot it. All I can think of is, like, this could be the world record, and this guy's going to dump it with the gun. It's not going to count. <laughs> I don't care if he's going to bite my legs off. Don't shoot it. Yeah. I knock an arrow, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this. It's such a classic sophomore thing. I shoot and I drop my bow to see the arrow go into the bear, and I literally didn't even touch skin, but cut the hair on his belly. 
you know what I mean? Like shot right under him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's still walking. Like he's coming right almost, it feels like he's walking at me, but he's really at an angle. I knock another arrow. The, he was so dead that, that when the arrow hit him, the actual arrow hit a rib, you know, and obviously split the rib and went into him, but the bear was knocked over by the, by the arrow hitting the rib. And wow. that was it. So that was, even though it was, all we had to do was back out and give that bear 20 minutes and it was a dead bear. Um, we just didn't give it enough time. That, that's as simple as it was. And then the brown bear, which Whitey heard the story. Yeah. Whitey, you should tell the story. <laughs> no, so, I'll let you the, tell. You were actually, I wasn't actually in the field with you. I, I did help uh, take the skull out of it, though, so I, was, I did have a part in yeah. it. Yeah. So this is, not, I'm not proud, but I'm not going to, like, turn around and tell it any other way than it happened. So uh, I kill a moose. And remember, I've only got a caribou and a brown bear left. So, and this is this past year in, in, in Alaska with Whitey. And Mike and I drive upriver to where Whitey is um, after checking uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the carcass where I killed my moose. And uh, we had a small sow hit it. And Mike could tell by the sign. Um, so it wasn't a, a big bear. So Mike says, well, well you might as well come with me upriver. So we go upriver. But on the way upriver, we pass a spot that's got uh, uh, the remnants. You can tell a bear had buried a carcass right on the shore. So it looks like a native, you know, shot the moose, which is what the natives do. You know, they don't really leave the river mm-hmm. and uh, dumped, a, dumped a moose. So a, a small bear had come. So we watched the bear run off as we went upriver. And Mike goes, you know, that's not really that bad a bear. It's a pretty bear. And it was small. It's a seven-foot bear. Um, and I go, no, no, I wouldn't shoot that. Now we come back down river about three or four hours later. And same bear is on that carcass. Mike goes, what do you think? I said, let me out. I'll hunt. <laughs> so um, Mike pulls over. I had a chair with me, uh, like, you know, for a blind. So I set the chair up right against the alders and... I literally, if I leaned back in the chair, I'd fall in the river. Like, I'm right on the edge of the alders on the edge of the river. Um, so even though I'm totally open and exposed, there's no way the bear can see as long as you don't move. You know what I mean? you got the, um, you know, the backdrop behind you. Mm-hmm. So I'm there for, I don't know, an hour or so, and all of a sudden I hear the breathing. The bear came. Both times the bear ran off, it ran off in a very wide open spot but it came back on a trail that was a lot closer to me than I expected, which was really just a cool rush. So about 20 yards away, he comes in. I watch him for about 35 minutes, finally get a shot, take the shot. We can't find, so now they show up to pick me up later um, with a moose on board in the boat, Mike and some other people. Can't find blood. We go back to camp. I have a long night worrying. Next morning we find the bear. It was a good shot, you know, double lung shot. It didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, ran probably a uh, hundred yards and you know dumped over. Mm-hmm. So now we go back, and on the way back, we stop and we check my carcass, and Godzilla hit that thing. Yeah. Like it looks like an excavator went in there. So 
we're all excited. Um, the uh, I go in that evening knowing that I'm going to kill the bear. Like, he's coming in. Sit all evening, bear never shows up. Next morning, Mike and I go in, and uh, the bear is laying on, when I say on the carcass, laying in the dirt right where the carcass is. You know what I mean? It's all buried. And I have about a 45-minute standoff with the bear before the wind finally shifts. He smells us, and he runs off. And when he runs off, he is a big bear, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A really big bear. So I go in that night, and uh, or I shouldn't say night, uh, afternoon, and a, uh, a small sow shows up and eats, and then a really good bear comes in, like, you know, like a shooter bear. He's over eight feet. He's a good bear. Mm-hmm. Probably, wouldn't you say, Whitey, your average bear up there that guys are killing are about eight feet? Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and mature, not a, you know, not a young bear, a good yeah. bear. And so he's in, and he starts messing around, and then you hear, oh, when he came in, he was popping his teeth the last, I'm going to say, 200 yards walking in. What, what um, does that so he's uh, signify, I guess, the popping of the teeth? Because oh, <clears throat> me personally, I haven't been to Alaska. Frank's the one that does all the guiding up there. Oh, so when, when they're popping their teeth, that is basically saying to the world, I'm coming, and I want to fight. So. Okay. If you're dumb enough to stay here, you're going to have to mess with me. So he's making this noise, and he comes in and gets to the bait. But as he gets to the bait, I hear another bear just like this. Like, I mean, scary loud, right? And it's this big boy. So he comes in. And that bear that was popping his teeth knows he's in trouble. So he leaves, but the wind is exactly wrong. So he walks right downwind from me and walks out of the area and up the hill. The big bear crosses this little marshy thing and goes by, and I, this is a mistake I made. Um, he's walking by, and he stops. I draw my bow, and I, and I figured him for, for 25 yards. It turns out he was 30. I, I would say this. If he had been 30, he would have been a dead bear, but because he wasn't, I didn't know where I hit him, but I hit him. In, 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 and I didn't know that the bear was farther out than he was, so I thought, it, you know, I, thought I made a good shot at first. Then he, so it takes me a while to figure it out. He's so keyed up on the other bear, he's not paying attention to the fact that he's hit. So I realized, okay, it wasn't a killing shot. He comes back through. Now, guys, this makes me sound like a bad hunter, but if you were there, you'd appreciate it. (laughs) He walks through the same area, but closer to me. It's so thick in the alders, but I got a wounded bear, so I'm going to get another arrow in him. I shoot. This time he's going back the opposite way. He's going back to the bait. I shoot a second time, and I hit him, but I have no idea where I hit him. Long story short, now i got to wait for Mike to come at dark. He comes. We find the blood trail. We leave it till the morning. Next morning, we follow the blood trail in a big circle. 
this bear is not lethally hit, okay? He just isn't. Mike, on the other hand, because we have a wounded bear, he jumps the bear, and the bear's about 40 or 50 yards away. Mike shoots at it with his pistol, doesn't hit it. Um, so you know that the hunt's over, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the bear knows the gig. He's got humans following him. Our scent is all over the place. <laughs> Everything's gone wrong. Uh, Mike's disgusted. Nobody wants a wounded bear in the woods, you know, the whole nine yards. So we, we end up back at the, at the kill site, and I look at Mike, and I go, Mike, he says, what? I go, I want to go back. I want to take a shower, and I want you to bring me back. And I said, I know the odds are low, but that bear is crazy. I want to be in that stand and give myself every, because last night, last day of the hunt. Mm -hmm. So he brings me back. I'm in, now, I, now I'm in a 12-foot tree stand, okay? And, of course, I feel like a putz. Because no matter how you explain missing a brown bear to people, it sounds awful. It sounds like you're <laughs> an idiot. You shouldn't have taken the shot. You know, there's no good way of explaining it. It's easy, yeah, it's easy to say that it's easy when you weren't the one there. Uh, I totally right. understand that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I get back in the stand, and um, I'm – it's early. Uh, Whitey, what time is it getting dark there? Like 8 o'clock at night? Yeah, by the end of the season, it was probably right around there, 8 o'clock. Yeah. So I, I, I have it on my phone. I think the bear came in. So I'm sitting there. Remember the first day he was making all that noise coming in? Never makes a noise, but I hear a branch break. Like not a, you know, not a squirrel, you know, <laughs> not a fox. You know, I hear it. So I kind of look up. And I can see him in the woods, and he's deliberate, and he walks in, and he starts tearing up. Um, so when they, like, it's not a carcass. You know how when you butcher a big animal, you know, there's big pieces of carcass? Well, what the bear does is, and why do you saw it, right? It's hard yep. to explain. People think you exaggerate. It looked like somebody hired an excavator, like not a small bobcat, mm -hmm. a big bobcat, and just took like a, like, call it a 20-yard area, 20 yards by 20 yards, and just literally tore the whole thing up. So he comes in, and he digs this hole that clearly has already been dug because all the soil is loose, right? And he pulls out some meat, and he starts eating. And, um, but he's pissed, right? And... Uh, um, He's really, oh, and actually, I'm forgetting a major thing. He, that other bear, you could tell when he came in, he was like looking, he wasn't looking for a human. He was looking for the other bear. Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, the other bear must have shown up during the night and like eaten or left his scent all over uh, on the big bear because the big bear was just acting so mean. So I'm sitting in the tree stand. He's 23 yards from me, never giving me a kill shot. It was over a half hour. And during that time period, twice, I got adrenaline shakes, guys, like you would not <laughs> believe. Um, and it was absolutely because, in plain English, I was shitting my pants. I mean, <laughs> the power when he was digging holes and stuff. 
And when he was digging, it would be like a college kid going into the refrigerator to see who stole his beer. He wasn't <laughs> going in to eat anything. He was just checking to make sure it was there. So once he saw it was there, he filled the hole again and then went to another spot. So what happened was, and I, I don't know this for fact, because I never heard or saw anything, but all of a sudden he snapped his head back and he was looking straight away from me um, back up the hill where they had come from, the bears in the past. And he just kept looking. And then he kind of did a like a semicircle and climbed up on what I'm going to call was the mound. And it was just the highest spot where he had gathered the dirt. And he stood perfectly broadside and really kind of like puffed himself up. There's no doubt he was posing for whoever he thought was coming in, like so they'd know it was him there. Mm -hmm. So now he's perfectly broadside looking away from me. Um, I've, I've got all the shakes gone, thank God. I draw my bow, release the arrow, perfect shot, right through the crease, perfect pass through. And he was so fat, like his whole body just like, you know, moved like jello and he to say he jumped would be wrong but let's say he in a startled way he was he was um all that blubber was going back and forth and he got off the mound and then he just started walking straight away and he made it a total of 15 yards and he didn't fall over and he didn't lay down he just kept walking slower and slower and slower and just kind of like ended up on the ground. That was a hard <laughs> thing to describe. And I was able to go on my inReach and, and text uh, Mike, um, I killed the bear, and there's no tracking. I'm looking at him. Nice. And he came in. And I wouldn't get out of the stand. Um, you'd think I would, but I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. There was another bear. He there. was looking backwards. <laughs> that other bear, he may not be as big as this bear, but he's big enough to eat me. Yeah. <laughs> my guess here so that that that's that is you know if there's a lesson never give up right you just yeah, never know. definitely um no uh, what can happen yeah so that's it guys i'm probably exhausted you guys but no uh, i enjoyed actually telling the story so, so i actually before we wrap things up i have three questions um that we don't you don't have to really elaborate on i do have um, one question also. so i'm sure frank maybe has a question or two but I have three questions real quick um, that I'm curious about, and I'm sure the people that will listen to this are going to be curious about. Um, first one, what is the bow that you used for these hunts? Like, did it change throughout the years, or did you have one trusty bow um, that you were using? Uh, no, so I didn't change. So one of my best friends actually is an owner in Bowtech. Okay. So I get Bowtech bows. But, you know, what I found, you know, over the years, you know, you can change bows every two weeks. It's not going to make any difference. It's How the hunter that shoots it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just so, a curiosity um, thing. We all shoot different bows yeah. here at the table. Yeah. Um, so I usually, when I get bows, I stick with the same bow for about five years. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And then, you know, if they really got better or there's a bow they want me to try, you know, then I make a shift. So the, the last bow I used on my last probably half dozen animals was a, was a Bowtech Realm. Gotcha. Um, second question is, when you go on these hunts, do you tell your guides that you're 
pursuing the super slam? And if you do, does it change the uh, dynamic at camp? Um, that that's really good. So I end I end up telling them, um, but I am careful how I do it because it can sound, you know what I mean? You know, it it, it just sounds like you're you're not there for the right reasons. Yeah. So usually. It, it comes out, but I like I don't show up and announce it. You know what I mean? I'm usually pretty shy about it. Usually, like I think if you actually went back to bear camp, you know, Mike is probably the one who brought it up to a couple guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they'd ask me. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Gotcha. Um, and then my last question is, I, it's kind of a two-parter, but it's like main mainly one question: Did you have all your animals scored? And I guess what was your biggest trophy out of the 29? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I had the state record Shiris moose in Utah, um, which is just a magnificent animal. It's, it's hard to believe it's not an Alaskan moose when you look at it. Of course, it's miniature compared to Alaskan moose, but yeah. it's got that look. Um, and I've had a few, so that, that bear that I killed at that time would have been, uh, the second largest, uh, grizzly bear now i think it's number five or six you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i never did register it you know what i mean at the time it was number two uh, in the world yes yeah well green scored you know what i mean like yeah we really believe it was you know what i mean um but you know it's funny i'm not really a big score guy um there's nothing wrong with it it's great my kids love to do it i usually get like if I'm hunting like whitetails and I get an old bruiser and he looks like a bruiser, I get more turned on by, you know what I mean? Old and gnarly than I do, you know, the, the, the scores per se, you yeah, know? So that's kind of me. And also, yeah, I'm not that bright. Half the time I can't figure out which ones are better than the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. We've never officially scored anything. Um, I think we're kind of on the same uh, level yeah. where you know whatever gets your heart pumping whatever trips your trigger um but i just i was just curious yeah. if you know yeah in fact i i will make this comment too um on the animals that that i've had scored it's usually for the outfitter you know what i mean yeah okay. like it wasn't me you know the outfitter they wanted to uh, like that <laughs> cyrus Bruce, that was a big deal to the outfitter you know what i mean but you know to me you know it, it it's almost like when you draw your bow the animal you're shooting at is the biggest animal in the world. If you yeah, know what I mean. it sure makes your adrenaline feel that way. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I appreciate that. I was. That's the three that I have, Tommy. I know you said you had a question. My for him. question was actually your third question. Okay. So, Frank, cool. do you have any? No, I think uh, I think you, that you had the privilege of spending some time with him, so I know you had a little bit better. Yeah, when actually, because I, I had heard about him, you know, I've heard about you, Jeb, from a couple other people coming in and out of camp and whatnot, because you were downriver uh, twenty miles or so from us. So I hadn't actually gotten to meet you. I heard about you, and I was super excited. I was like, I really, really hope I get to talk to this guy, and. Yeah, I probably the first night that I was actually in camp with you, we sat at the table and I was just asking question after question, not even about just the super slam, but just hunts in general that you've been on. And I had a lot of fun sitting there talking with you, and I'm I had a great time talking with you again tonight. I'm really glad you made time for us to come on the podcast. Oh, good. I, I hope I hope it was good, guys. It's almost like I'm sitting here now. 
and you can tell I was animated. Like I loved every minute of it, reliving the stories. Now I'm sitting here, I'm a little embarrassed. Like, oh, what did I just do to these poor guys? Oh, no, I, we're. I don't know how much Frankie really told you, or Whitey told you about you know what we do with the podcast or anything. But um, we're over 80 episodes in, and I both of these two can testify or testify to this. I've never said this before, but this has been my favorite episode. Um, it's not something I say to every single guest, but to talk to somebody that has this much experience and adventure um, in their life is just absolutely incredible to hear. And you're a wonderful storyteller that, you know, as close as I can be to being there without being there is what I felt like you did by telling these stories. I truly mean that. Oh, cool. Cool. Thank you. Um, so I got one favor. When you guys get this thing done, just, mm-hmm. just, email me so how so like i'm thinking of my 17 year old and his eyes will probably roll in the back of his head but i want him to be able to hear it <laughs> i don't know if i can get the other ones to listen but i'll try yeah, yeah so the uh easiest way like white cat outdoors if you search that on the internet it is going to come up um we're and what's it called what's white it called cat again? outdoors um I'll, I'll send, cat. we'll send you um all the stuff but if you look that up on the internet it it, you'll it'll, you'll be able to find it, but we'll show you the easiest way to listen to the episode. Um, and I know Frank sent, Frank sent you the outline, um, but one thing we like to do when we have um, guests on is before we let you go, we want a, uh, a write it in pen sort of thing. You know, something that you want to let us know, let the listeners know, something that we don't you don't want us to forget. Uh, maybe if it's a life experience or life lesson, um, whether it's hunting related or life related, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, it's funny. Um, we, we tend to think of, uh, you know, this is just for me, a personal thing. You know, we tend to think of like hunting as our own personal accomplishment. And so often for me, just like you guys, I'm doing it all on my own, mm-hmm. but you know, on, on this quest, like more than ever, and it made it more special for me. It's a team sport. Like I could never have done it without guides and outfitters that really cared. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and not every hunt was a perfect hunt, right? It didn't always work out. But by and large, um, honestly, like the like every once in a while you, you maybe run into a person that's not your favorite, which you won't admit who it was, you know, or say anything. <laughs> Whitey, it's okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> but honestly, um, like, so many great memories of so many really, you know, interesting, fun people, whether it's a really, whether it's a really, you know, seasoned older guide or it's a really young, uh, you know, one of my best hunts was, was with a, uh, uh, a wrangler. The guide got sick and the 19 year old wrangler became my guide. So there were, there were a lot of things he didn't know, but he was an incredibly good hunter. You know what I mean? So, you know, the, the, the team sport of it is something that, that in the beginning I was kind of like, well, I want to do it myself. And quickly I realized, no, 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 no. You can't do it yourself. Mm-hmm. You need these guys. You know, you're out of your element whether you want to admit it or not. You know, so that probably is, a, you know, one of the interesting things that, that really came out of it for me. Gotcha. That's a really good point. As much as it feels like you're alone in this, uh, when you're sitting in your stand or, you know, in that bush or whatever you're doing, uh, it is a team sport. And I guess I never really looked at it that way, but you're right. Uh, even when it comes to whitetail hunting, 
it's a team sport because you're, I mean, especially us, we're meeting back at camp every single night and we rely on our friends and family to keep us motivated or, you know, lift us up when we're down or even, you know, be there when we're celebrating. So it, it really is a team sport. Look at all the work we put in prior to season. We wouldn't have been able to put in, you know, all of our new stands, hang our cameras, put in our food plots if it wasn't for yeah the, all the help we got from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, great point, guys. You know, and, and isn't it for, did, did you ever notice for yourselves um, some of my favorite um, uh, hunts were like one of my uh, one of my best friends is he was having horrible luck. And I remember we named the stand the Kansas stand and uh, I put that stand up for him. So he showed up on the weekend. I said, here, I, I got a perfect stand for you, blah, blah, blah. And he killed what we called on our farm. We called that the buck that was there the Kansas buck and he killed it and, you know that was that to me was more exciting than if I killed the buck you know what I mean yeah yeah no I, I yeah, that's totally agree Tom and I probably our favorite hunt to date is you know a, a turkey hunt that we were together um, where I happened to be in the hospital for several days before the hunt we had just enough time to hunt together for a couple of days and I actually ended up back in the hospital a few days later um, but ended up filling our tags in New York on turkeys and even though they weren't great birds by any means but at the time like i mean it's still it's my favorite hunt to date and it was with my brother well you know it wasn't a single occurrence with myself that's awesome and it doesn't it doesn't get better than that you know what i mean it really doesn't um so again i want to really thank you jeb that you your storytelling ability is incredible um and i hope that uh we can talk to you again because we only got i think maybe four out of the 29 uh, hunts <laughs> on uh, tonight. And I, I'm still intrigued to hear the other 25. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping we can do this again sometime and we'll fill in some more hunts. So here, Hey, here, here's an idea for you. And I'm not in any rush ever, but it, it might be kind of cool. If, if you did a podcast, whether it's just me or others on the misses. Like on the total disaster hunts, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. yeah. we all have them, you know what I mean? So we haven't uh, done that, but yeah, I think might you might be onto something there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely way into that. <laughs> Everybody sitting at this table has got at least one story where they can talk about. Mm-hmm. I know I have one broadhead stuck in a tree on one of my favorite <laughs> stands that haunts me every time I walk to that stand. Um, <laughs> so cool. um, that, it's a good good point. Um, uh, we typically, every time we close this podcast out, we, you know, thank everybody for listening and encourage people to, you know, continue getting outdoors and, you know, get somebody new into the sport of hunting or fishing or trapping or whatever it takes to get outside. Um, so with, you know, our typical fashion, you know, with 29 North American animals, obviously you've are no stranger to getting outside. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thanks guys. Yep. Thanks a lot, Jeb. We really, really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. We, we definitely had a blast and definitely would love to talk to you again some more. And I would definitely like to come up and visit with you sometime and see your trophy room and hang out for a couple of days and just talk hunting with you and hang out. Hey, I'm serious. I'd love to have you guys up. Love to do it. We appreciate it. I'd love to be there, too. All right, man. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeb. I hope you have a great night. We'll be in touch. You, too.
See you later. Yep, later. Bye now.